0: Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Gray Matter Podcast. This is of course a podcast to help you think deeply about God, the Bible, and life with Jesus. We are tackling all of those gray areas of the faith. And today what I want to do, similar to our last episode, is I wanna give you a clip from a teaching I did, again on Facebook Live, in this quarantine season for our church, helping to navigate the disunity that we're facing right now in our culture. Uh, Obviously, we have disunity um, from various different things that are happening, um, things that have been boiling up for a while, with politics, obviously the racial tension, um, even down to how we respond to COVID, if you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Right now, it is a divided time. We are living in a fractured culture. And so what I wanted to do in this time of teaching that I did just recently with our church is to give a biblical call back to unity, back to love. And um, I spent some time in three passages just kind of unpacking and commenting on uh, the basics of what Jesus would call us to. And I thought this might be helpful to share with you as well uh, because I know a lot of people are scrambling trying to figure out how do we live and operate as believers in such a fractured time as this. So I hope that you enjoy this and that it'll be helpful to you today. One thing I've been thinking a lot about that I know many of you have been thinking about as well is just the, the disunity and the tension that we feel in our world right now. Um, if I asked you to jump in the comments and throw out the place where you've seen disunity the most, uh, the reality is there could be any number of things because it seems like over the last several months, even just the last several weeks, there have been a multitude of different specific issues that have just hit us in the face as a culture and as a country, um, that many people are kind of carving out their side on. And it's hard to uh, to to mediate and to see a place in the middle by the way that we are uh, divvying up uh, the positions on a lot of different things. So some of the obvious ones, if we're just thinking about reopening with COVID, right? I mean, some of you might be thinking about um, when I announced and just talked a little bit about church reopening this weekend, Some of you are thrilled about that. You're wondering why we didn't do this two months ago. Uh, You've never worn a mask and you don't understand why everyone's freaking out about it. And uh, that's where you sit. Others of you are saying, I can't believe you're doing this right now. I can't believe you're jumping back into worship already. Uh, We should all be wearing masks and staying at home. I can't believe businesses are open. And, and, And we see these polar sides that create tension and then in media in particular, we, we only get the tension in disunity. And what it causes, even in the church, uh, it, it causes us to not be unified. It causes us to not look to one another in love and unity. Um, another great example recently is, of course, all the uh, racial tensions and issues towards reconciliation in our country. Again, there are some of you who are, who are looking at what's happening in our country and you're not seeing the issue. You're, you're not, and some of you have a multitude of reasons why that is. Yeah, you may say that you have evidence for why you think this is not really what people are calling it. And, and you would kind of carve out your position on that side. Others of you are, are sitting here and hearing some of the things that are coming out. And, and you are, are mourning. You are being awakened to a reality of something that's happening around you that you've never maybe seen before. And, and, and you're looking at this like, we've, I've got to change, we've got to change, we've got to do something. And what ends up happening, again, media comes in and kind of instigates the whole thing. It polarizes those two views, doesn't see a middle ground, and it creates a recipe for disunity. The reality is, we are living in a time where lots of things that are just happening out there in the world around us Um, are affecting even life in the church. And unfortunately, it's revealing that maybe our allegiances as believers in the church are something other than that which God has ultimately called us to. And so what I want to do just really briefly tonight, like I said, is point to three passages of Scripture to kind of recenter us on what's most important uh, for us as a church, and now I know I could see some names. Like I, I know some of us that are watching are Forest Hill Church people. Some of us are not. Some of us are outside of this. And um, what I want to say is, I want to lean into this for our church at Forest Hill as a community, Forest Hill Waxhaw specifically. Um, but this is a call to the church global, the church worldwide, the church in our country as well. And then we'll pray towards that end. So the first thing that I want to see when we look out and see all the disunity in our world, we see all the things happening, is that this is 100%, whether we're talking about our response to COVID and wearing masks and reopening, or whether we're talking about racial reconciliation and tensions, this is 100% a gospel issue. It is a gospel issue. Now, when I say gospel issue, I don't use the word gospel just as an adjective to mean really, really important. I mean that it actually has something to do with the good news of Jesus's death for our sins and his resurrection. And I think we see this really well in Ephesians chapter two. And so I'm gonna read a good portion of this because I believe God's word is powerful. I believe that when we read it together, uh, God's spirit moves in the reading of his word. And so I just wanna read a chunk of this. I'll kind of comment as we go. But this is Ephesians chapter two. And what I want you to see is that when we talk about unity and we talk about love, the gospel is at stake. So this is what Paul says, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says in verse one, as for you, you who are believers, you who are a part of the church, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, All of us who are in the church, all of us who claim to be believers, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of mankind, we were by nature objects of wrath. All right, so what he's saying here, let's just pause, what he's saying is that he's talking to Christians and he's saying, hey, all of you, all of us were at one time, just like everyone else out in the world. We were sinful and only following the sinful inclinations of our hearts. But then he jumps in. And in verse 4, he says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then he repeats it again because he wants to make sure you know. It's not your own works. It's not your own goodness. It's not all the things that you've done, all your church attendance, all your sword drills growing up if you grew up in the church, um, all those VBSs you attended or took your kids to. It's none of that. He said, it is by grace you have been saved not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's worksmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, so let's just bracket this real quick. So Paul's reminding the church in Ephesus that the whole, the, the whole principle, the whole foundation of the gospel and their salvation is the fact that they could do nothing to earn it, that they were sitting in a position of sin, But God, because of his great love, moved towards them, moved towards us and saved us just because he loved us, not because we cleaned ourselves up, simply because he wanted to show us grace. And not only that, but he promises to continue to show us lavish amounts of grace more and more and more in the future. That's the principle of our individual salvation. Okay, so now when I talk about the gospel, When we talk about the gospel, most of us, a lot of times, that's what we think about. We think about the fact that I have been saved because of what Jesus has done for me. We think in in individual terms about me and my eternal security with God. That's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's good to think about those things when you hear the word gospel because it's true. The problem is, it's not wrong, it's just incomplete. It's incomplete because Paul keeps going right after this. And he says this, he says, therefore, because of everything I just said, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Okay, so let's just be really clear. We don't talk about that a whole lot. He's talking about those of you who did not grow up in Israel, those of you who were not Jewish, um, those of you were far away from God, right? Because God originally called a people called Israel, a country, a people who were supposed to be the exclusive people of God, to be a blessing to the whole world. So what happened is um, everyone else outside of Israel was left out of this great plan, this great love of God. But what happened in Jesus, Paul is telling us, is that now through Jesus, it's not just Israel who gets this grace, this grace that forgives us of our sin and calls us into relationship with God. It's the entire world. And so he says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. he goes on, says, for he himself, Jesus is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose, Jesus' purpose was to create in himself One new man out of the two. One new humanity out of the two groups, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And through him, we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Okay, that's a lot. I know that. We could spend weeks and weeks just unpacking all of that. But if we just take a really high level view, what's happening here? Paul is telling us he's moving from an individual view of salvation and the effects of the gospel. Okay, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has died for our sins and that he rose again on the third day. The the effect of that is that when you believe by faith that Jesus did that for you, and you turn away from your sins, you get individual salvation, but that's not it. That's not the end of the story. The rest of the story is that you were called into a people, a community of people, the people of God called the church. And the church is not an exclusive group, but it is an incredibly inclusive group because whereas before, before Jesus, it was only Israel as the people of God, Jesus came to welcome in and to bless the entire world. You see, that was God's intention forever. It was that Israel would be blessed by God, that exclusive relationship, and that they would be a blessing. When God originally called Abraham in Genesis 12, he said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. The problem is Israel never lived up to it. So what happens is Jesus, one true Israelite, comes and fulfills Israel's destiny for the whole world. It's God himself coming to say, I'm going to save you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the whole world. It's a call to unity. And so what does this mean? Well, simply, before I move on to this next passage, it's simply a reality that when you trust in Jesus, you are not just checking off your, and signing up for your fire insurance so that you get to be in heaven with Jesus someday. What you are being called into when you believe in Jesus is a gospel call into a relationship, into a community that includes all people from all places, from all ethnicities, from all groups, people who are very, very different from you are all a part of this one crazy menagerie of of the family of God. God's heart is a unity amongst lots of different groups of people coming together in Christ. So when we talk about issues of unity and disunity, it is at the heart of a gospel issue because the very thing that Jesus came to break down in the cross was the hostilities that exist between us. All right, so that's Ephesians 2. That's Paul teaching us that it's a gospel issue. But the second thing I want you to see Is that if we're talking about um, unity, it's not just a gospel issue, it's not just something that was achieved by Jesus in the cross, but this is something that Jesus himself prays for. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, in John 17, he he is praying to the Father. And he's praying not just for his disciples, as we'll see but he actually includes you and me in the prayer as well. All right, so Jesus, in this prayer to God, it's a long extended prayer, beautiful. If you wanna go and read it at some point tonight, I'd encourage that. But I'm gonna pick it up in verse 11. This is Jesus praying to the Father. He says this, he says, Holy Father, protect them, his followers, protect my followers by the power of your name, the, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. All right, he's talking about Judas. Judas, poor guy, he's gone. He keeps going. He says, I'm coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I am still in the world so, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. My prayer also is for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me, by the way. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. They that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity. Listen to this, okay? If all of that was just kind of rushing by and hard to to listen to, because I know it's hard to listen to a long passage like this without being able to read it in front of you. But just listen to this if you didn't hear any of the rest of it. Jesus praying says this. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see what we what we understand from Ephesians 2 is that the gospel itself, what Jesus did in his actions on the cross and in the resurrection, it broke down the the walls that would divide us. It created a new reality in which we can become one. What we see in John 17 is that the heart of Jesus in doing this was that we would be one. And the reason why Jesus wants us to be one is that he wants us to experience the joy that comes with being unified with with one another, unified in the spirit, with the father, in this triune um, Godhead that exists in eternal unity and love. He wants us to experience that together. But then there's also another aspect. It's an aspect that when we love each other as the church, the world looks in and is able to understand some truths about the gospel. You see, the reality is, is that the greatest apologetic, the greatest evangelistic tool that we have as the church is simply to just love each other. And at this point, I'm being specific about Christians loving Christians. We're not even talking at this point about loving people outside of the church. Jesus says that when we are brought to complete unity, People on the outside will see that and that they will understand that God sent him and they will understand that God loves them just as much as he loved Jesus. Think about that. That's baffling. When we love each other well, the world can look in and see the heart of the Father. Now, what happens when we in the church, what happens when we, push aside the call towards unity and love because we disagree about things that are outside circumstantially happening in culture? What what is different about us in our community from the rest of the world? We have no right to dictate anything regarding our biblical values, our view of morality, anything else when we can't even agree that Jesus, in Jesus, we have more unity than anyone outside. It's a big problem, I think, when we can have more unity with a non-believer who shares our political views than with a believer who doesn't share our political views. Have you ever thought about that? We should have more unity with each other. For those who call themselves Christians who who are, are holding on to this faith, this one whose heart is this prayer that we would become one, that is our unity. It's not wearing mask or not wearing mask. It's not how we respond or don't respond to the calls to racial reconciliation. Both of these things, incredibly important. Incredibly important to get a, a good answer on. You should have convictions about where you land on those things, but that's not the ultimate call the ultimate call is to unity in love. And love is where I want to end this um, and and to lead us into prayer. Because not only is unity a gospel issue, it's something that is actually achieved and locked into the very nature of the gospel. Not only is unity something that Jesus himself um, was intending to accomplish and, and going to Uh, the cross, and in his prayer before the cross, Um, but we see that we are called into and instructed towards love as well. So 1 Corinthians 13, a passage that you have probably heard read at way too many weddings, more than you'd care to admit that you've uh, been to and listened to, and the problem is with weddings reading um, 1 Corinthians 13, we can have a tendency to think all this is about romantic love. The reality is that Paul is is speaking to the church at Corinth at this point in his letter to the Corinthians. And the the church at Corinth was a mess, all right? They were a mess. Go back and read, just read chapter 5 and 6, and you're going to realize they were a mess. They were a jacked up crew. But what, what he does is he starts going through and unpacking Chapter by chapter, all the different things they're struggling with. And in chapter 12, he's talking about the nature of spiritual gifts in the church because there's lots of jealousy and strife happening in the church in Corinth um, based on who has certain gifts in the church and who doesn't. And he's talking about you're your one body. You're one body. You just have different parts to play, just like the hand can't be a foot. And, and then from that argument, he jumps into chapter 13. And this is what he says, and this is what I want to call us into. He says, Now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move a mountain, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It is not easily angered. That reminds me of James 1. I think it's verse 20. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's one that'll preach, I think, in this culture, in this climate. Love keeps no record of wrongs. There's another sermon. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, when Jesus comes back, perfection comes It's love. I know that tonight I've read a lot of big passages. I know that I've said basically everything you already know probably. But it's amazing to me how sometimes the most simple elementary aspects of what we're called to are the things that we struggle with the most. It's, it's this call to love one another. It's a great commandment to love God and to love one another that we seem to struggle with the most. And in a time where disunity is prevailing in the culture and it is ripping communities apart, families apart, friendships apart, the church can stand in the gap and be a shining beacon of light, a witness to the world that there is a better way. And the only way that that will happen is if we realize our unity with one another, first of all, it already exists spiritually. Jesus has already bought that unity for us. And for eternity, we will be one and none of the junk that we divide over now is gonna matter. We have a whole eternity ahead of us where nothing matters except for our unity in Jesus. And yet for our 50, 60, 70 years on earth, we can't help but to fight and squabble over all the little things that aren't gonna last. We've gotta come back to our unity and our oneness in Jesus, which already exists and will exist in eternity. And we gotta bring that into the present by loving one another well. So that is the call on our lives, if you are listening and you are a Christian. And if you're not a Christian and you're listening, I want you to know that that is the call, that is the foundation, that is the basis of what the church is always meant to be about. And the reality is we have missed it a lot along the way. The church has done it well a lot along the way as well. Uh, we shouldn't miss that fact, but um, right now is the time for believers to step up our game to love one another well and to show the world what a community of people who lean in despite differences and show true unity and love uh, what that can look like so i hope that this was a helpful episode for you today Uh, If it was, I hope that you will leave a review, um, maybe even share this with a friend. Definitely subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, Doing all of those things helps a newer podcast like this uh, to get found by other people. It boosts it up in the searches uh, for these topics as people are searching for answers. So do me a favor. If this is helpful to you, leave a review, share it, subscribe, do all of those things. And I will catch you next time with another episode of the Gray Matter Podcast.